All right, let's go. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast, a live episode here on Monday night, January 30th, 2023. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you. Coming with you after a one-on-one week for Xavier, the Musketeers go to UConn, win 82-79, to and then go on the road again and lose to Creighton 84-67 to in a game. The Musketeers were never close in that one on the road in Omaha on Saturday. And we're here to break it all down for you. We're taking your calls. This is being recorded, so if you're listening live want to catch it all later, you can go back and listen on musketeerreport.com or in your podcast feed. Rick, before we get going here, well, I'll have you pub it a couple of times, but today is a, uh, it's a deal, right, for subscribers? It's huge. Yeah, this is the best deal we offer, and we never do it in season. This only happens on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, typically around Thanksgiving time. If you sign up right now, you can get 75% off a year subscription. That's less than like $225 a month. It's it's as cheap of a deal as you can get here. So if you want to start up, sign up right now. And actually, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, Paul, there is some big news coming on the Xavier front as far as my availability goes, as far as me covering the team and giving you guys more content, more of what you want. So, you know, please help me out here. Give me some more subscriptions. Make this easier for me as I make this new transition. And I'll have some uh, news coming on that front later this week. Not that you need my bump, but I can uh, I can vouch for what Rick's going to say. And I think everybody here listening to this is going to be very pleased with what they hear. So if you're listening to this and you're not subscribed, uh, Rick, Rick's got some news that he's going to bring to you. So make sure you go ahead and, and use your American currency wisely here as we uh, get going. But um, like I said, if anybody's listening and wants to call in, we'll get to those calls in a few minutes. First, like we always do, we're going to break down the games. Um, Rick, let's go back to UConn. I'm going to lean on you pretty heavy for the Creighton game. I was doing a broadcast at the same time um, as the second half of that Creighton game, so I missed a lot of the second half of that one. But going by what I've read and what I've uh, gone back and watched a little bit of what I've been able to see, it doesn't look like I missed a whole lot from that one. Um, the UConn game, though, a game that Xavier – really needed on the road just to put a lot of the narrative to bed of, of what Xavier could do on the road away from the Cintas Center. And Xavier goes to UConn. They open up a huge lead in the first half of that game, 39-24 to after the first 20 minutes. They get outscored 55-43 to in the second half, but that doesn't matter. Xavier still hangs on for the win. Uh, I did a space for about two hours after this game. Uh, I took a lot of calls on a lot of things about it, but we didn't go too much in-depth about this game, and that's why we're here to talk about it. So, Rick, let's get your thoughts on this game uh, at UConn and what you thought the Musketeers did really well, even when they hung on there in the end. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people were disheartened by the second-half comeback by UConn, and I I think part of it is you just got to realize percentages are going to catch up at some point. Xavier came out like gangbusters. They shot really well on offense in the first half. Defensively, they were great, and UConn couldn't make anything. And in the second half, that evened out a little bit. So there was always going to be a regression there to the mean in terms of the shooting percentages. You knew UConn was going to make a run just based on that. In addition, they're playing in their own building. It's packed. Gamble was crazy that day by its standards. Um, So I thought Xavier did a really good job to hang on to that. First of all, I didn't think the second half was was very concerning at all. I mean, the, the defensive issues that are there have been there. Those aren't going away. But but aside from that, I mean, I, I did not think the the second half was some big concern or anything. Um, the most impressive part to me, though, was just how they came out. 
You you had a great game plan. They once again did not guard Andre Jackson on the perimeter. They double teamed the ball every time it went into Sonogo. And um, they really were just able to take away a lot of the UConn screening actions because they had that extra defender there um, kind of messing things up in the lane as he was sagging off of Andre Jackson. So I thought they did a really good job with that in the first half. UConn made some adjustments. They started, you know, running Jordan Hawkins off some more off-ball screens and and using some of the space to to curl him a little bit more, use some dribble handoff actions with Andre Jackson, things like that. And uh, UConn did a good job of adjusting and responding to it in the second half to make it more of a game. But anytime you can get that big of a lead when you're on the road and give yourself for a big uh, quad one road win opportunity, you got to be pleased with the way you start the game like that. Yeah, Xavier's sixth quad one win of the season. Xavier actually probably would have had seven quad one wins going into this uh, Monday because if Cincinnati had been able to hold on against Houston on Saturday, that would have bumped UC's win uh, or Xavier's win over UC up into quad one, but Bearcats couldn't hold on against Houston. So Xavier's sitting with six right now, including that win over UConn on the road. Uh, Jordan Hawkins goes for 28 points in this game, Rick. Another standout uh, opposing player with a huge stat line. How much of that is a concern for you. I know you mentioned the defense already, but um, we don't need to go too far into the defensive side of things when that's it seems like all we've talked about. But yet again, you see another player going for almost 30. Well, I think this one is worth talking about somewhat because it was different. UConn did not beat Xavier the way that Xavier has been beat by most other teams. It wasn't just a point guard coming downhill and beating Sule one-on-one. It wasn't just some simple ball screen actions. Xavier made them do something else, at least. And to their credit, they were able to do that with, with Jordan Hawkins coming off of pin downs and curls and dribble handoffs and doing some other things. But it wasn't the typical issues we've seen with Xavier where they just can't stop the ball or uh, they're getting abused in the post by Sonogo or something like that. It was, it was a lot of Jordan Hawkins finding another way. And by the way, making some really tough shots. It's hard to guard a guy who's sprinting around screens, full speed, stopping on a dime and knocking down jump shots. And that's what he was able to do. So you do have to tip your cap to him to a certain extent. There's a reason he's going to be playing in the NBA. Yeah. And then Tristan Newton goes for 23. So two players, for UConn combined for 51 of their 79 points. But outside of that, look at Andre Jackson and what Xavier did to Andre Jackson, the same exact thing that they did to him when they played at Cintas. They do again. He's 0 for 3 to start the game from 3. Doesn't take another one after that. They just said, hey, look, Andre, if you want to beat us, go ahead. And he didn't make a 3. And that was the game plan all night on him. And to Andre Jackson's credit, he's a great player, but he can't shoot. Well, the weird thing is he's not a terrible shooter. You know, he's like, what, like a 30% three-point shooter on a decent amount of attempts? I mean, this is not like a guy who can't make threes or never shoots threes. It's a fairly big part of his game. But I think just the the idea of you are the guy we want to beat us. We don't care if you shoot got into his head a little bit. You leave a guy wide open like that, and he misses the first one, and he starts second-guessing himself, and... That's exactly what happened. It just it became a point where they had to tell him, look, you can't shoot. You got you catch the ball, you got to turn and reverse it or go do a dribble handoff or something else. Get involved in an action where the lack of a defender on you creates some space for us because you stand at the top of the key and staring down at the basketball, staring at the basket, deciding whether or not you're going to launch another three just isn't a good offense for us. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anything else from you, Con Rick, before we go to Creighton? I think uh, Desmond Claude was really good in this game. 
point. Yep. Yeah, that was that was the game where he had a couple of really nice takes. The one where he came down off the ball screen and had the two-handed dunk in the middle of the lane over Klingon. And then he also had a take in the second half where he, he got a rebound. When it wasn't exactly in transition, he sort of waited for everyone to get back, did a little pause, and then exploded past the defender with a hesitation move and got an and one finish at the rim. So uh, a couple of really nice plays by him. He also had a, another rebound and stick back to to finish with six points. So I thought it was one of Desmond Claude's best games. He he didn't commit a single turnover in this one, yeah, by I was the just way. Which, say no, no turnovers is huge. Yeah, that was that was a big deal. And then finally, just we, we talked about that second half and how UConn came storming back, but. Xavier also had an answer for that. Like they didn't fold and lose the game and let that wave of momentum overtake them. They stood up. They they got a stop or two when they needed it, and they made some big shots and were able to hang on and, and win the game. And then Creighton, eighty four to sixty seven, a loss on the road. Zach Fremantle and Jack Nunji pick up two fouls here before the under twelve in the first half, and and from there the game was really over. Uh, from that point, Creighton got out to a. Fairly decent lead, and Xavier really not, never got back into it. Xavier's last lead in this game was with 15 minutes left in the first half. It was Creighton's from there on out. Xavier made a little run in the second half, got it back within six, but that was as close as they ever got it. Largest run in the game for Creighton was 10. Xavier had a 9-0 run, did have a 5 nothing or a, a, a five-point lead when it was early, got off right out of the gate to a decent start, looking okay, and then from there things just got out of hand. The officiating um, – decided this game early. I'm not blaming it on the officials. I'm just saying that the officiating got out of hand early. Yeah, there's there's a few things that you have to acknowledge here. One, Creighton was great in this game. Xavier probably wasn't going to win this regardless, and I don't know that any team in the conference would have beat Creighton in this game. They were good defensively. They were making some shots and playing crisp offensively, and they were at home. So that, I mean, it, it just was going to be a tough day to play Creighton. In addition to that, Xavier having both of their big men get two fouls before the under 12-minute media timeout, and by the way, a couple of them were just absolutely terrible calls, that changed the complexion of the game. I mean, Xavier really had no chance after that, especially with the way Creighton was playing. Xavier couldn't stop anything inside after that because the bigs who, let's face it, aren't the best defenders or, or most resistant defenders to begin with were able to offer zero resistance at that point for basically the next 20 plus minutes before it was uh, safe to, you know, quit worrying about foul trouble again. And then on the offensive end, Xavier was not able to get the ball inside nearly as easily, partly because they had to stagger Fremantle and Nunji a little bit more. They weren't able to play them together the entire time. And also partly because Creighton has a seven footer who's mobile and agile inside and Ryan Kalkbrenner, and they were able to just park him in the lane they played them way back on their drop coverage on ball screens, didn't have them come out at all. And it took away a lot of the stuff Xavier likes to do in terms of looking for the big man on the roll, looking for the big man on the high low. It took away some of those entry passes and those opportunities. And Xavier just wasn't able to get the same type of looks around the basket that they typically do. Now, in the second half, they started to figure that out and take advantage. You saw Adam Kunkel pull up for several mid-range floaters around that free throw line area. I think Sule might have done the, the same thing a few times. So they started to realize that with Kalkbrenner sagging so deep into the lane, there was this middle of the, the court right inside the, the three-point arc that was going to be open when they came off of ball screens, and they started taking advantage of that. But uh, that was just too little too late. They realistically were never going to get back into that game. Yeah, and Xavier 
was led in scoring by this in this game by Zach Freeman. All had 18. Kunkel had 13. So did Colby Jones. But uh, Saber was just 4 of 14, Rick, from three. How much of that was what Creighton did and how much of that was just Xavier not getting great looks? I know you talked about it a little bit there, but just looking at the numbers. Yeah, I think a lot of the difference is when Xavier shoots the ball really well from three, a lot of times it's coming off of great ball movement. It's inside-out looks. Ball's gotten into the post, you're kicking it back out, or you've driven it through, kicking it back out, swinging it around the perimeter, a couple extra passes. That's how Xavier's threes, when they're shooting well, usually come. This game, I think the the three-point shots came more as a result of we're not getting good looks. We got we to gotta force something up here. And not saying all of them were terrible shots, but they just weren't the same quality of three-point looks that they've gotten off of great ball movement for most of the year. And, and the reason they've been one of the better three-point shooting teams in terms of percentage for most of the season. Sure. Um, Rick, when, when you look at how this game played out from the first half to the second half, the question a lot of people had was the officiating. Only six fouls called on Creighton in this game and 13 fouls called on Xavier. Like I said, I had a broadcast of my own and didn't catch the second half of this game as closely as I, I think you, it sounds like you did. Um, how much did the officiating play a role in this game? Well, it played a huge role from the standpoint of the two bigs getting the two fouls before the first media timeout. That's just a rare yeah. thing. Both of Jack Nungy's fouls could be dis- decided as questionable. The the two on uh, Fremantle, I don't remember as well standing out, but um, I think at least one of those might have been questionable. So, you know, I, I'm not saying all of the calls were wrong. I'm just simply saying as an official to call four fouls on the opposing big men before the first media timeout, and again, especially the one, the Jack Nungy foul that was on a rebound where he has both arms up, the guy's body barely brushes with the Creighton player, and you call him for a second foul? That's terrible. I mean, that's just terrible feel as an official. It's a terrible look-at-me move in the moment, and if you look at who is making those calls, it makes a lot of sense. So <laughs> I, I think that's that's the issue I had with it. It's not that there was a huge discrepancy in the fouls. Now, granted, I don't know how any team goes like 20 minutes of game time without committing any fouls, but I understand Creighton's like really good at not fouling. That's kind of their thing. So that the, the discrepancy in fouls didn't bother me nearly as much as the lack of feel for the game and the, the look at me nature of those early foul calls on the big men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get into taking calls here, I see we already have uh, at least one call requested in. Um, I- I'm just going to put it out there. I'll be honest. I just got online right before we started. Uh, right before we started podcasting, I'm seeing a-, a lot of stuff about Zach Fremantle. Is there anything you had heard about that? I, I know I'd get killed if I didn't ask it. Uh, yeah, he is hurt. Okay. So. Uh, we we will see what, what goes forward. But, I mean, look, every, people have seen him in a walking boot. There's no way around that in 2023 at social media. I mean, I know no one wants us really talking about Zach Fremantle's injury on here, but it's kind of the nature of how the world works in 2023. People are going to see him in a walking boot. It's going to get out on social media. It's on the Internet. So uh, I'm sure that they're not going to really want to offer any details about that injury and, and uh, talk about Zach. We don't really have any more details other than he is in a walking boot. It is the same foot that he injured last year, and uh, that's about the extent of it right now that we know. Gotcha. Okay. We can just leave it at that. That's all I wanted to ask and make sure we covered the ground. Um, anything else before we start taking calls here? 
I'm sure we'll get into plenty more, but yeah, let's uh, go ahead and start getting to some requests, load them up. We can talk as we go. If you hear something that you want to jump in on, make sure to to send your request in and we'll try to get to you, but go ahead and load them up. And I see, I see somebody who's been requested since the start of the show that I want to go to right now. We're, we're going to them first and we're trying to connect. Hopefully that this is not a, uh, a connection issue. We're talking about the infamous CapEx, of course. We, we are. We are. Number 16. Uh, maybe I'll... Oh, All right. Oh, he's gone. Okay. Move on to Nate. All right. Nate. There we go. Nate's in. Yo. And so is Cap. Go ahead, What's Nate. What's up, fellas? Um, How we doing? Unfortunately, uh, both uh, bad, bad Saturday for, for both teams in here, Alabama. And this is right. We're Xavier. starting the show off with an Alabama fan. Beautiful. Uh-huh. I forgot about this guy. What's up, man? So... I, I, I was looking at some projections. I see Ken Palm has y'all going, uh, what, 13 and 5 here uh, down the stretch. Um, do y'all think it's still kind of a, a tight race between like the top three or four teams? Or you think uh, you, you think Xavier's going to be able to finish out strong and win the conference pretty handily? Well, I don't think Xavier will win the conference handily. Uh, I think this is going to come right down to the end. And if you're looking between Xavier and Marquette, um, I, I think that the way that this schedule sets up right now with Xavier, Marquette, and Providence tied, all three teams tied at the top, this Providence game on Wednesday is going to tell us a whole lot about what kind of separation Xavier might have at the top because Marquette seems to have the edge with the schedule, but Marquette has also traditionally over the last four years not played well at all uh, in February now I think this team is much better and I don't think that this team will have those same kind of uh, faults or or kinds of lack uh, you know I just don't think that they're going to have those kinds of issues coming down the stretch in February but then again were we saying that same thing last year at this time in January we might have been I don't remember so so I I tend to think that this is going to be end up being a, a three-horse race between Providence, Xavier, and Marquette right at the top. But the the one on the outside looking in right now, it's Creighton. It's, it's Creighton. Creighton is, Creighton is there. It's Creighton. Rick? I mean, Creighton is really good. I think they showed this past weekend why people had them picked top 10, top 5 in the country before the season. Not saying that they deserve that, but – you can see what people were expecting out of them with the way they played against Xavier. Like the defense, when Ryan Nemhard is guarding Sule Boom the way he did, and you've got Baylor Shireman doing a respectable job against Colby Jones, Creighton's going to be a pretty damn good defensive team when those two are on it. Because the other three guys can all defend at a pretty high level. So uh, that was what impressed me most, is we know they were a, a tough offensive opponent, but defensively, they were really good in this matchup against Xavier. So I do think that they still have some juice left for the rest of the season. I could see them making a run and, and end up near the top. That was kind of my next question. Was uh, I was hoping y'all were going to go ahead and stomp them out on Saturday, but uh, it, it I, I haven't really looked at their schedule down the stretch. That should is it pretty difficult, or they got like an easier back half than than front half? I know with uh. What's his face back? Cockbrenner, uh, whatever, however you say his name, uh, nailed it. Okay, so yeah, are they? Um, do they have an easier back half of the schedule? Or y'all see them losing some more down the stretch. They, they, ha- they still have to play UConn at home. They have to play Marquette at home, but they do have Georgetown twice and DePaul. 
plus a St. John's mixed in there and two Villanovas. So it, it, it's a it's a favorable schedule uh, for Creighton down the stretch, yeah. And the way UConn's playing right now, I, I'm assuming that Creighton's going to win that one. Uh, what happened to UConn, uh, I wouldn't, man? I wouldn't, I, wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say that that's a given, but the way that UConn's playing right now, given the fact they started 3-0 in the Big East and now they're 5-6, and 2-6 and six in their last eight games, it's not trending the right way for Connecticut. And uh, Connecticut's not a team I'd want to see at Madison Square Garden, but they're also not a team that's going to win the Big East. I, I just yeah, don't that, understand what happened with them. I mean, they, I mean, they manhandled us early in the season. And we thought, you know, going going into that game, we were like, well, they haven't played anybody really, you know, uh, they haven't really played a good team. They had a terrible schedule coming into that, like strength of schedule-wise. And then they just demolished us. And then they went on that big run where they, you know, everybody thought they were a top three team in the country. And now they get into Big East and they're, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Y'all, y'all know Big East basketball more than me, and I don't want to take this away from the Xavier space. So I appreciate you guys. All right, Nate Burner, we appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, as far as UConn goes, they, they've certainly had their issues, five and six in the Big East right now. I think part of it is the fact that they just don't have the guard play that other teams do. Tristan Newton is – he was in the American Athletic Conference for a reason. That's not to, to take shots at him, but he's just not a point guard at this level. He's a, he's a player that can play at this level, but he is going to be one of the weakest – guys on the court if he's your point guard in the Big East. And, and that's kind of what UConn's ran into. I also think there might be some dysfunction going on in that locker room with the way things have kind of spiraled here. So they played better against Xavier in this last matchup. They just couldn't score with Xavier, and, and the Musketeers were able to come out with that three-point win. So I'm interested to see what they do because they have two get-right games here coming up against DePaul and Georgetown. Both of those are on the road before they get back into home against Marquette at Creighton and home against Seton Hall and then home against Providence. So a really tough stretch after these two get-right games. We'll see if UConn can can make a final push here towards the end of the season. Yep. All right, Cap, unmute yourself. Fellas, I'm unmuted. How are we? There he is. Cap, what's up? How are we doing? So I would kind of like to hear your guys' power rankings of the Big East, how things have changed, and do we think it in this Creighton game? I've had a lot of DMs, uh, direct messages, if you will, of like, hey, I don't think in this Creighton game, and I kind of agree. Like, is that Creighton game a big deal? I kind of think it was like a, as tough a game as you're going to face in the Big East. Yeah, I definitely agree with that last part. I, I totally yeah. think that it's just it is what it is. I mean, you're you're going to have those games where you don't play your best. The opposing team does play their best, um, and when those happen at the same time, that's usually a great thing. Quite honestly. Because you probably weren't beating Creighton anyway in that game. So it's nice that you didn't waste one of your best performances of the season on it. You, you played poorly and you got in early foul trouble. And it kind of just is what it is. It's one of those games. And it's it's a game that no one expected Xavier to win. No one had Xavier winning at Creighton and at UConn back-to-back. So you got one of those wins. The fact that you split was great. And you just kind of move on. And, and I don't think you worry much at all about that Creighton loss. Paulie. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I, look, last week we were, everybody was going to be happy if Xavier went one and one on the road, and they went one and one. It just didn't look pretty, right? They went one and one. They accomplished what everybody wanted them to do. It just didn't look great because the optics of Saturday were very bad. They got not only did they lose, they got blown out, and the way that it went down, it was ugly, right? They couldn't score. There were issues that you hadn't seen yet from Xavier that cropped up in that game, but still, I just think that. 
You're going to Creighton in their pink out game on a Saturday right after you went to UConn and won a very emotional game on Wednesday night. Just a lot of things that had to go right on Saturday for Xavier that did not go right. And it is what it is. I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, when you talk about the power rankings of the Big East, and, and this might go back to what Nate just called in with a, a second ago, when you look at the top of the Big East, Providence has a very difficult schedule coming down the stretch. they got to play Xavier twice. they still got to play UConn. They only have two games against Georgetown. Those, But they already they finished with DePaul. They finished with Butler. They still have both the Xavier games the Seton Hall game, a game against Villanova now with Justin Moore back. I mean, there are some difficult games left on Providence's schedule that, uh, you know, when I look at the top of this Big East race, there is a chance, there is a chance that it is Xavier and Marquette battling this out, but Providence is right there with them. Um, And that's just kind of how I see it. Paul, my main question is, where's the Big East race stand? My number two question is, who is this press associated with? You talk about the AP. Who are they associated mm. with? Because I'm not. I'm disassociated from the press, Paul. I'm gonna be honest with you. So you win at UConn. You lose a pretty much unwinnable game against Creighton, and you drop from 13 to 16. Like I don't understand. So you you are. Who are you associating with the coach? I'm not Paul? associating with them. I'm associating with John Fanta. If anyone, I associate with this group chat here. I don't associate with the press, though. If I'm being honest. That's what they say. But, like, you win at UConn. And, and, like, the Creighton game, like, what do you want? You want us to lose by four? Like, it's an unwinnable game. I think if Xavier had played their best game, I don't think we win against – the Creighton was, was unbeatable, let's be honest. Like, Creighton brought it – I don't think we could have beaten that team on that day. I don't think we win that game. Well, I, I tend to know, agree. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I – what I will say about this is that Xavier's net dropped – from 23rd to 27th, that's the lowest that Xavier has been in the net. Now, they have been 26 a couple times, and they've hovered around 25. But Xavier hadn't been below 26th since December 27th, uh, before they won the first UConn game when they jumped from 37 to 26. So they've been hovering around that 25, 22, 23 spot. But, yeah, the uh, the rankings were not favorable to Xavier this week. What do we have around. to do to get the UConn treatment? I mean, they just don't win games, and the rankers just don't give a shit. Like, what what do we have to do to get that kind of treatment? I mean, what probably give up give up less points if you want. Do we to buy answer. some like uh, some some Creighton? What's the steak thing? The the steak stock or whatever. Oh, Omaha, yeah, Omaha steak. Like, yeah. should I, do I buy some stock and send it off to somebody, or what do we got to do? That's a good point. Well. I mean, you do have you do have to give UConn the the fact that I mean, at Xavier, at Providence, at Marquette, those losses aren't bad losses. <laughs> I mean, I, I know they came, I know they came in short succession, but I like I think if you spread those losses out, no one's thinking too crazily about that. Now, a couple of the other ones, the St. John's loss, the Seton Hall loss, those aren't as good. Uh, you would have liked to beat Xavier at home this time around. Getting swept by Xavier is not ideal. But I don't know. I, I still think UConn's a decent team. Um, I think they had a really tough schedule the way it fell. And the, the back half of their schedule is going to be a lot easier. I'm just – I'm curious to see what Rick, they look can like. I have your login information if they lose that to Paul? Yeah, of course. Why I not? I really want to see the tweet that goes out if they lose that to Paul. I'm excited. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, why? I mean, I'll just give it to you now. Why would <laughs> just Just go ahead and send it. I'm ready. Yeah. All right. We'll check your DMs here in about five Say less. 
I'm gonna I'm log off. I love you guys. All right, thanks, Cap. The doc. Let's go to doc. Doc, go ahead, buddy. Can you hear me now? Well, we got you loud and clear, okay, Doc. Okay, uh, plot twist. We got a spoiler alert. You guys heard Rick say something's changing. Okay, I, I got to break the news. Rick is opening a massage parlor. He's putting it near Dana Gardens, and he may or may not be involved in recruiting in and around that. Don't quote me on this. This is very quiet information. Will you deny that, Rick? D Doc, I'm a little bit upset with you. I got to be honest, because when I gave you that massage last Saturday <laughs> and you asked me to do that special thing for you, you told me that this was going to be between us. You're, and you said it would say that. You're, way. you're right. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But it, that's but all right. The happy ending was blissful. <laughs> Okay, here's for a, a legitimate question. I'm sorry for being a clown. Uh, on a hyper, uh, what do they call it? Hyper, uh, anyway. Hyperbole? No, it, this could happen. If this could happen. Hy if, hypothetical. Yeah, there you go. Hypothetical. There you go. I, I learned that word at Xavier. If, if Frosty doesn't play, what would you think, who do you think gets more playing time do do Jerome Hunter? How Jerome Hunter gets more? Okay, there's still going to be more minutes, right? Uh, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll see. Bryce Hopkins is going to be tough to match up with, and Jerome Hunter is the best option for the job. He might have to eat about 39 minutes and 40 seconds in this game. For being <laughs> there's honest. nothing funnier. There's nothing funnier than when Jerome Hunter gets mentioned in this chat, and then the Jerome Hunter fan club just spams the emoji. But we, but we yeah. also know there's no way Jerome Hunter can play 39 minutes without five fouls. That's impossible. Well, now you're being pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you don't think that uh, we might see a little bit more, and I hate to say this, but this name, Kiki, and this name, Edwards. We, won't we almost have to give them each at least five minutes? If yeah, well, don't, well, first of all, I don't hate to say them. They're nice guys. Uh, oh. uh, no, I mean, I don't think Kiki's going to be much affected by Zach Fremantle's limited availability. But, yeah, Cesar Edwards seems to be the next big off the bench at this point. So I do think Cesar will probably see a few extra minutes due to – if Zach is not available, of course. Well, wouldn't Colby be playing some four? That's quite possible. Well, yeah, I think I, that's probably four, a better option. Yeah, Yeah, then we'll need probably Kiki to pick up some of the slack in the backcourt. Um, okay. I see where you're going with that doc. I don't know how true that is. I think you'll probably get more Desmond Claude if I had to guess, but you might, Kiki might get a few extra minutes as a result. Okay. And in closing, I suggest at your massage parlor that you give two for ones, left hand and right hand. And with that, well, doc, I mean, come on now. I've got, I'm trying to make a living here. I've got a kid on the way and, and do not let recruits into your shop. All right. Thanks doc. <laughs> Very, very well done. All right. Well, th this is this is a guy who I don't think ever appeared on one of our Twitter spaces. He just big times us every single time. Listen to his podcast all the time. He never shows up for ours. Andy Piccarillo. What's going on, Andy? Well, he lives. You got me? We oh, got we got you. you. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I've, I've never been on one of these Twitter spaces before. Give me some credit. Maybe exactly Maybe one. Maybe exactly one, yes. Um, but that is more than zero, which is exactly 
what I expect, how many minutes I expect from Kiki Tandy. Uh, mm. So I really wanted to first thing first. I love how we went from raw dogging to massage parlor, all brought to you by Xavier class of 69 doc rock. So that's, that's what the man does. He just takes us into the gutter every time he comes on this show. <laughs> like that, that was just absolutely poetic. Absolutely poetic. Yep. Now, well, it's really Fritchner. You know how he is. Yeah, it's true. You never know what you're going to get out of me. Isn't that Fritchner's right? It's just like a closet degenerate, and we love it. I always try to keep this podcast on the up and up, and but you know, it is a Jesuit school that we're we're uh, talking about here, and, and Fritchner's just always like, no, I like some gutter life in my oh. Monday nights. Yeah, I, that, that's that's honestly it's my, really it's just my space to be myself. What do you got for All us, right, Andy? So my. My, my actual question is, so as I fight my depression from the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm trying to stay as positive as I can about playing one of the tougher teams in the Big East on Wednesday night. Uh, we, it's been a theme this year that the opposing point guard kind of goes off. What do you think our chance of containing the Providence point guards in this game? Well, I think it's better than – most of the rest of the conference, I'll say that. Now, Xavier has had their issues uh, <laughs> with a certain point guard, Jared Bynum, in the past, obviously. Yeah. He had a couple of big games against the Musketeers a season ago. So I understand why someone might look at that and say, well, Rick, what are, what are you talking about? Um, but in theory, Providence doesn't have one of the more dynamic point guard crops in the conference. So I, I would think that would fare well. Now, the whole situation with Bryce Hopkins, I mean, I, I, I hate to say this. I hope Zach Freeman is completely healthy, but that matchup would be difficult. So whether Zach Freeman is 100% or not, I think you're going to be relying on Jerome Hunter a lot defensively in this game. And how he matches up against Bryce Hopkins is going to dictate a lot of how this matchup goes because Bryce Hopkins is a monster off the dribble. I mean, he's, yeah, he's obviously a stud, and then they got uh, Ed Croswell down there, who's a strong, strong and pretty athletic. So I'm a little the, the front court is going to be pretty, pretty brutal down there. But yeah, Bynum's a monster. That kid is just so tough. He's so tough. He he just he doesn't have the size, but man, is he tough. If you watch that game against Villanova on Sunday. Uh, He's just tough as nails. I can't say I watch much basketball on Sunday, but I've seen as from what I've seen from him in the past, it's just it's freak stuff. Yeah. But thank you. I'm happy I can make my return for the second time. I will be back as prop and as a promise to you guys. And I'm sorry about that. Andrew, what's going on with your voice? Is this a bit you're doing right now, or are you just like in a somber mood? There's, oh, I'm definitely fighting depression right now. So okay. definitely, definitely in a uh, definitely in a somber mood. Have not said many words at all today. Uh, so that's probably have that probably has a lot to do with it. I'm also kind of under the weather. So we'll, okay. we'll blame it on that. How's your boss doing? <laughs> Satisfied. Good. That's what I like to hear. Thanks, Andy. Uh, thank you. All right, so uh, Paul, do you have any more loaded up here? I do. I I have one here. I had Johnny here. All right. Before I, we, I have I have Jerome Hunter coming on after this. Not the real Jerome Hunter. Jerome Hunter fan club. But go ahead, Johnny. Okay. Hey guys, thanks uh, for taking my question. Um, 
I've been reading on the message boards a little bit. Uh, people seem to say that Providence or that Xavier matches up well against Providence. Uh, you think you could maybe go into some detail about that? Yeah, that's, well, just what we were talking about with Andy, the exact same thing. I mean, they do not have one of the best point guards in the Big East. They're not as dynamic coming downhill at you, coming off those ball screens. They don't have a bigger, more athletic point guard to go past Sule. It's, it's a better matchup for Sule, basically. And that's that's where this whole thing starts with Xavier's defense is they've been getting abused by opposing point guards just picking on Sule, coming downhill at him. And uh, Providence doesn't exactly have that. They are not a three-point shooting team, so they're not going to, uh, you know, Xavier can use some of their size inside, pack it in a little bit more, keep it tight in in the paint, and hopefully rebound a little better, use that to contend against Ed Croswell inside on the offensive glass where he's really at his best. Yeah, aside from that, I don't know that there's a whole lot more to it. I just think the biggest thing with Xavier when you're looking at bad matchups for them, you you first start with, does the other team have a really dynamic point guard who's going to create off the dribble? And then, obviously, Xavier hasn't been great at defending the three-point shot. So if they have that, that point guard that can create, is he going to spray out to a bunch of shooters that Xavier's going to have a, a hard time recovering to? I'll always look at that. The forward spot is usually a concern, although, you know, of course, if Zach isn't able to, to play as much and you've got Jerome Hunter out there, the, the forward position isn't as much of a concern defensively because Jerome's been very good defensively over the, the last several games. But uh, Providence does have that. Bryce Hopkins at the forward spot is – Really good, really talented, former UK recruit who uh, has matriculated to Providence. And uh, he's not an outside shooter, really. He's capable if you leave him open, but mostly he's going to put his head down and drive you to the rim and, and draw a lot of fouls. Uh, thank you for the explanation. So I, I walked away from my phone for about five minutes when Andy was on, so I apologize <laughs> that I uh, asked the same question twice. Thank you again. No oh, worries, Johnny. No worries at all. No worries, Johnny. Thanks for the call. Um, let's go to the Xavier Muskie. I got three all at the same time, so we're going to go to Muskie, then Jerome, uh, and then Lumpy. Hey, Muskie. Paul, Rick, how are you guys? Great. Great. How are you doing? Good. Um, I just had a quick question. Um, Sule Boom, four points versus DePaul, 10 versus Georgetown, and then two versus Creighton. I, he obviously went off versus UConn, so I'm not – forgetting about that um but just what are your guys thoughts when he goes cold is this our defense is starting to figure him out or is it more just kind of self-inflicted like he's just not making shots so just wanted to hear your thoughts on that well I think specifically in the Creighton game Ryan Nemhard did a really good job against him and part of that that I found interesting is Ryan Nemhard is more his size he's not six four and bigger which that's tougher for Sule to guard on the defensive end, but I do think it might be a little bit easier for Sule to sometimes get into the body of those bigger guards and, and draw fouls against them. With Nemhard, Nemhard was able to chase him around the screens, stay with, stay with him from a quickness perspective, but he wasn't getting called for bumps. And he wasn't like Sule wasn't able to, to get those whistles from the ref when he was driving and leaning into him and, and trying to draw fouls the same way he's been for a lot of the years. So I thought that was a big part of the performance against uh, Creighton is that they just did a really good job defensively. And it was pretty much all Ryan Nemhard in that game. Uh, the DePaul game. I don't remember it being particularly great defense. That was a game where Sule just really couldn't finish much of anything. It felt like to me, I think, uh, you know, he went like one for 12 from the field in that game. And I didn't think it was particularly due to great defense. That's not typically DePaul's thing. Now, they, they have a little bit more athleticism and length than Xavier does on the perimeter. But 
I, I still tend to think that was more about Sule missing shots. Rick, do you think he ever forces too much? Uh, I would actually like to see him force a little bit more early in the game. Okay. Quite honestly. I think he's a guy that like lets the game come to him and then starts to turn it up late in the game when it's on the line. I think he might need to force the issue a little bit earlier in games, try to get himself going. Okay. Yeah, because I noticed I noticed that a couple of times where he took some shots where I was like, ah, you know, it's tough to tell without going back and rewatching sometimes whether it's you know, a good look or whether he's just trying to force something. And and I was just curious what your thoughts were. There. Well, I, I'm a big believer in like, if you're the best scorer on your team and you're not taking three bad shots a game, you're not shooting enough. There you go. So I would put Sule in that category. If he should be taking a bad shot or two a game. Now, Sean Miller might disagree with me. He's not a big fan of effed up shots as we know, True. but, but uh, with Sule, I think he's a guy that, that honestly, I don't think he's there's, there's been a point this year yet where he's been overly aggressive. What would Richard Skinner think of that? Uh, Skinny's more of a ball movement guy, a four corners guy. I don't think he's really too into the let your best player ball out theory, (laughs) but he also likes to win. It's true. Uh, All right, Muskie, got anything else? No, just uh, there's a 75% off discount on the Musketeer Report till midnight tonight. So if you're listening, make sure to subscribe. Thanks, guys. You're the man. There we go, Muskie. All right. Jerome, fire me up. Go ahead, Jerome. Our first, I want to give all thanks and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jerome Hunter. Okay. Amen. There he so is. I think the biggest question on all Xavier fans around the world tonight and tomorrow night and going into the game Wednesday and the possibility that Jerome is starting is how does this affect his candidacy for Big East Sixth Man of the Year? Oh, I don't think anyone would let John Fanta do that to you. I don't think anyone would let John Fanta consider him a starter. Okay, thank God. Thank God. Cause and I I believe, and I don't don't quote me on this, I believe John Fanta literally runs the Big East offenses. Well, <laughs> let's just say this. The propaganda department here at the Jerome Hunter fan club has been working overtime to make sure that, you know, we're putting out the right information about Jerome. Because I think I mean Let's be honest. He is the sixth man of the year of the Big East. I mean, we can make a national argument. So, you know, I did hear Fanta talking on a, a recent show, and he seemed to think that there were other sixth men that might be more deserving. Oh, you know, well, yeah, he, ra- he rattled off some names. He's a people pleaser. He can't tell yeah, me well, that is true. So, you know, but I think I would like to hear your guys' opinion on it. It's just going, assuming, obviously, I don't, I, the Jerome Hunter fan club takes the position that ultimately we want our best starters out there. And if that's not Jerome, we understand that. But given the situation, I want your opinion on how do you think Jerome will do playing as a starter? Do you think will do you think that might affect him to where he is usually coming in as a role player and is now positioned to, you know, not only a be starting the game, but potentially see a big jump in minutes. Obviously the foul trouble is going to be a thing to be watched. Obviously, hoping for cognizant rest for once in a while, but just that if you had any opinions on him potentially having to take on this bigger role, how you would think he might respond and what to expect. I think the biggest concern is the foul trouble. Yeah. I mean, and he's done a much better job this year of staying out of foul trouble. He's been great defensively, but this is a game where you're going to, well, potentially you're going to need to rely on him to play a lot more minutes. And he hasn't really had that responsibility 
at any point really leading up to now. So that'll be the big question is, can he take on a more expanded role if called to do so? And, and with that comes staying on the floor and avoiding foul trouble. And, and he's going to have a really difficult matchup. So that's not going to be easy. Paul, any, any thoughts on your end on no, Jerome yeah, taking on a more expanded I, role? I just, I just don't, I never put a whole lot of stock into the starter versus the bench. As far as when you see guys like Jerome getting, the minutes that he's gotten in the role he's playing. I, I don't know if just the fact that he's starting the game is going to make a ton of difference. Now, sometimes it does play, like you always talk about, Rick, into the into the rotation of the rest of the game. But I think Jerome's a guy that's been around long enough, is an experience long enough, and knows the system long enough that I don't think that that would – I think Jerome's up to the challenge. Yeah, I don't think starting is going to bother him or throw him off or anything like that. I think it's more of a standpoint of how does he respond to – playing starter like minutes you know if he yeah. if he has to play 25 30 minutes but I mean, he's been playing 20 plus minutes for most of the games recently yeah that's what so i mean yeah. yeah it's not like it's going to be an insane jump for him to go up to even 28 or 30 minutes but there is a little bit of a difference and there's going to be a little bit of a different expectation there in terms of your production if you're playing that many minutes so i mean really this game is going to be all about him defensively matching up with bryce hopkins and if, if he plays well in that regard i think you'd just consider it a job well done Yep. That's all I needed to hear. So mark it on your calendars, everybody. Wednesday will be the death of Hawkins. Jerome Hunter shall reign supreme. And the Jerome Hunter fan club will be drinking a significant amount because they will be very nervous watching Jerome play a lot of minutes and being in the spotlight and the ensuing potential hate that might spew on the internet. So we're watching everyone, okay? So we're watching. But thank you as always, Rick and Paul. That was amazing to hear. Let's go, Muskies. Bye, Jerome. Jerome Hunter fan club. I, I, it, I mean, it's up for debate, Paul. It's arguable, but I'd, I'd say he might be the best caller on this show at this point. He's certainly the most consistent, and if you're the most consistent, he's always here and he always brings good content. So he has an agenda and he sticks to it and he does well with it. I don't know. I like the Jerome Hunter fan club calls. I do. I love him every time. He's consistent. He's right there with it every time we're on here. And like I said, the emojis are the best part of it. Because he just spams the emojis down there in the. Uh, I don't. The, I don't know how his phone battery lasts. The way he's just constantly clicking. Either. I don't either. I not like we talked about last time. The best part is we just call him Jerome. For the people listening back on this in a podcast, they probably think Jerome Hunter is sitting in a new station somewhere with a with a phone on calling into the show. I mean, I'm All down right. to 38. percent I've barely been touching my phone. This guy's just hitting emojis 24 seven. Spamming the applause. Uh, we got Adam Bauman here. Adam, how we doing? Hey, what's up, guys? Going What's on? Up, uh, nothing much. Um, I figured, you know, I would let Jerome know that um, on Wednesday night, John Fanta will be sitting next to me in my bunker, and he Fanta can be bought. So, if you want to make your case in person for the Sixth Man of the Year award, I think you know what to do. Oh wow! Oh, the in person plug. Yeah. Get in that. Go yeah, in that's, there. Uh... Get in there and uh, and make your case. That's uh, Adam Baum of the Cincinnati Enquirer and USA Today suggesting a little payola. <laughs> Bri- bribery never hurt nobody. Or, you know, a, g- a yeah. gift card to uh, to like rubies or something. Fanta loves steaks. So. This is a victimless crime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Baum, you, you have any any anything from the weekend with uh, the reaction after Creighton or anything like that? No, not really. I think I think you guys you guys hit on it pretty well. Um, you know, when Creighton's playing like that at home, 
Like it was loud in there and um, Xavier was going to have to play like a, a perfect game and they clearly didn't do that. But um, I think, you know, the, the fact that you got the win at UConn was huge. It took a little bit of pressure off that Creighton game. You know, we could be sitting here right now talking about that UConn game getting away from them. And then you go into Creighton and that happens and how different it would feel right now for the Xavier team. Great point. Had that happened. So that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we talk about th- that second half of the UConn game and, uh, you know, good job responding and answering, but you're right. The, the compound effect that loss would have had when you pair it with the loss at Creighton where they didn't play well, people would really feel differently about this team right now. Had they dropped both of these and they, they'd given up that big second half lead. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing I wanted to say about Providence is they're a little bit, uh, you know, it's not, it's not crazy weird, but you know, you kind of look at their numbers and um, they're number 19 in the country on Ken Palm offensively. But then you look a little deeper they're 68th in two-point field goal percentage. They're 172 in three-point field goal percentage. And it's like, what's what's going on here? How are they 19th? Well, it's because they're, they're elite in two very specific things. They're the number 10 offensive rebounding team in the country, and they're number 22 in the country at generating points at the free throw line. So if you're looking for something on Wednesday night that Xavier can do or an area where, hey – we need to take this away. You can't be fouling them, and you have to keep them off the on- offensive glass. And, you know, if you don't do those two things, it could be a long night. You're going to struggle. But if you commit to rebounding and keeping them off the glass and you can defend them without fouling, I think there's a very clear avenue where Xavier can win this game. That's a good that, – yeah, that's really well said, Adam. And the one thing about Providence that makes it kind of nice is they have Noah Locke, and he is a dangerous three-point shooter. There's no question about it. But aside from that, they don't shoot a lot of threes, and they don't have a lot of shooters on the, the roster in general. So when you're talking about you've got to be able to guard without fouling and you've got to be able to defensive rebound, the pack line defense that Xavier plays is designed to keep guys in position so that they are there to box out and get rebounds. In theory – when you don't have to close out to shooters on the perimeter as much and you're not as worried about that, you should be able to stay in position better and and have success on the glass. So that's one area where uh, Xavier hasn't been great this year, but I do think in this matchup they should be okay defensively on the glass. But that also requires you to stop the ball with Bryce Hopkins. Like if he's driving you to the rim every time and you're having to come over and help against him, then you're not in position any longer to rebound. And Ed Croswell is going to kill you on the offensive glass. So – that's going to be the other key part. It's great that you don't have to close out to shooters, but you're also going to have to stop dribble penetration, especially when it comes to Bryce Hopkins. Yeah, and Sean talked about that on his radio show tonight. You guys were talking about Jerome Hunter and him being matched up with Hopkins, and I think you're probably going to see Jerome and Colby on him at times. And I think one of the things that that could help in this game is if Jerome can be successful on Hopkins, it takes a little bit of pressure off Colby defensively, and maybe that frees him up on offense. You know, if those two guys can sort of tag team Bryce Hopkins and really make that, you know, uh, a duo effort defensively as opposed to all that pressure being on Colby to stop their best guy or all that pressure being on Jerome, I think if if those two guys are on the floor together, if Jerome is going to have to play extended minutes, I think it gives Xavier a little bit more versatility with their defense. So, uh, yeah, 
really well said. I, I couldn't agree more with you there. And I, I think I also think just Colby not having to always spend the entire game guarding the other team's best player, that all of a sudden makes your defense a whole lot better if Colby is on somebody else and he's able to help you out a little bit more, be in position more often, isn't constantly focused on spring around screens and chasing somebody and, and completely being locked in on his assignment. He's a really good team defender. Yeah. So when you're able to take some of that load off of him a little bit, it makes him better at helping everybody else too. Yep. Yeah. That's all I got. All right, man. Always a pleasure talking well, we to you guys. Yeah, we appreciate your contributions. Thanks for uh, tuning in again. And, Enjoy the Providence game once. Yeah, I'm going to miss you, Rick, but I'll uh, I'll hold down the fort. I will keep Fanta in line without you there. So, well, I mean, we, we do have to talk. Is it not wild to watch a game with John Fanta in the media bunker? It's it's uh, an absolute pleasure. I can't wait for Wednesday. <laughs> so, what I mean, what we're referring to is that like Fanta's just sitting there on his laptop, like we are. But while the game is happening, Fanta, I think, sometimes <laughs> forgets that he's not, like, broadcasting a game. And he just starts saying stuff about, like, it. it I, honestly, like, I would love to just throw a camera on him. Like, he was at the Marquette game. And there were plays in that game where it was like, Fanta was yelling in the media bunker. It was just, it was screaming. Yeah, it was surreal. And, and at times the, doing full-blown play-by-play. Yeah. But the thing about the thing about Fanta is he just so genuinely loves college basketball that like you'll just be walking around with him and you'll see somebody that'll yell out like "Hey Fanta" and then he'll just scream back like something random about college basketball and it's just the dude just loves the game. Yeah, I was. I, I could never be as happy or as excited about anything, anything in the world as Fanta is every second that he's watching a Big East basketball. Yeah, this is a this is yeah. a, a true story. But at the end of the Marquette game. I was late to get down to the the media and the players had already started their press conference. And the reason I was late was because after the game, Xavier fans were coming to our media bunker to get pictures of Fanta and I had to take the pictures of them. So that's that's what I was <laughs> doing right. there. <laughs> that's right. No, it truly was an experience. I mean, that that was I mean, we're not quiet in the media bunker anyway. So we're not on press row or anything. So we do a little bit more talking and reacting to stuff that's going on. But Fanta was there. It was like we might have been the loudest seats in the arena. Yeah. I mean, he was screaming at the top of his lungs basically when any, anything happened. It was incredible. Yeah, when Sule, Sule hit that mid-range jumper at the end, he about busted um, busted right <laughs> right through his chair. Yeah. yeah, and by the way, you have the three of us sitting at one of those like little six-foot work tables, and it, it's shoved into a, a tiny little bunker with a giant concrete column like blocking half of it so i'm squeezed in between the table and that concrete column you've got fanta to my right sitting like we're rubbing thighs basically and then baum is on the other side of that rubbing thighs i mean it's just a lot of beef in one little media bunker right there and you've got fanta like grabbing our shoulders and screaming and shaking us as Sule Boom is knocking down shots. It was just, it's an experience I'll never forget. I hope I have many more. Yeah, it's called, I call it thick boy art, Rick. Oh, it, def- it definitely <laughs> was. Paint a, paint a picture of it. No doubt. AB, we appreciate All you, right, man. guys. Take care. Uh, I see one more caller lined up, Rick. We've been going for about an hour. You want to take one more and see if anybody else joins while this is going on? Otherwise, yeah, we we can take take more if anybody uh, wants to jump in here. But otherwise, this will be the the last one here with Lumpy Dump. Lumpy, Lumpy's Lumpy's consistent in here with us. I can't remember calling that name before. Yeah, how's it going, guys? There we go, Lumpy. Lumpy. Are are we supposed to call you Lumpy? Is that what what you prefer? Yeah, call me whatever you know. Lumpy works. 
All right. All right. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to lead off with uh, congrats to the Bengals on a hard-fought uh, AFC oh. championship game. Sir, um, be careful where you go next with this. Yeah, I just wanted to know any fears with uh, Bynum getting his mojo back, uh, coming back to the gym where he sent your guy's season into a tailspin last year? Um, well, I guess. I mean, he did have four points against Butler a couple nights ago. But they still hurt. Yeah, aside from Limited that, minutes. yeah, that's terrifying. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 if I'm being honest, I do not spend a lot of time thinking about Jared Bynum. I know he he missed four games and he, he just returned. Um, but yeah, Xavier's had a hard time guarding him. That is for sure. Yeah, and then yeah. I, you know, I disagree with you on the three point shooters too. I think we got like five mid thirties guys, and Bynum well, shot at like forty four last year. Obviously, he's been hurt. I, I, I mean. Do you, do you do you do you actually want to go through this, or do you just no, want to say I, you know keep your numbers, keep your analytics? But I oh, okay, I, yeah, I let's just lie. Six guys that yeah, no, Noah Locke is the only one that's at thirty five percent. Aren't there? There's a bunch like low thirties then. Well, that would be different than thirty five, but there okay, yes, so Alan Breed is shooting thirty percent, and Jared Bynum is shooting twenty six percent. Devin Carter is shooting thirty two. What's Floyd? Te- I mean, Floyd has shot twenty threes on the year. Okay, like, what does that even? Well, he's shooting fifty percent, but okay, he doesn't shoot. Like twenty. Thank you very much, uh, sir. You rank three hundred. You th- you rank three hundred and thirty-six in percentage of your points scored from beyond the arc. You're not a three-point shooting team. I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying we can shoot it. Leave us open. You'll find well, out. And Bryce Hopkins will eat Jerome Hunter's lunch. So that's my last. Uh oh, that was the wrong name to bring up here. Yeah, you're gonna all day. You, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to answer to Jerome Funner fan club. I will say this is this is certainly ran its course. So we will, uh, yeah, get we, lumpy lump, lumpy out of here. We'll remind, remind not to take his calls anymore. We have a uh, we we have a couple more here. Let's go. Uh, let's go to Yuli and Jerome. Well, get Jerome on. Get Jerome in first. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Yuli. Hold on, just a second, Yuli. We Jerome, go oh, ahead. No, I want to hear this. This is funny. Lumpy Dumpy. Are we serious? Are we, I, Rick, I like your product. We can't let you go. That was, that was my bad. I let Lumpy on. Well, I mean, I we should break, blame Fritchner probably like we do with most things, but yeah. I, I accepted Lumpy on here. I'll admit that. And uh, that was a mistake. I didn't know who, what he was going to talk about. You know, we, we don't have a screening process. That's really the issue with Twitter spaces. There's no screener. Let me make it clear. If Lumpy wants to come down go. to Cincinnati, we can have a talk. I'll show him some real numbers. I'll show him some real numbers. We won't be hiding behind whatever kind of statistical he's kind of throwing out there. You know, he might be talking about how they don't have the votes here and there. I'll let him know who really runs the show down here in the toss. Okay, so lumpy dumpy, keep it to yourself. Take the fake stats somewhere else. Go on, go on a UConn space where they talk for three hours and spew stuff like out of their buttholes. Okay, this is the real spaces here. So let's not let's not mess around. Yeah, we're running a very professional product here at MusketeerReport.com. The, the wildest thing there was that we had to explain to a Providence guy that they're not a three-point shooting team. Like, could you imagine if Xavier was in that same position? Like, take Xavier last year and their three-point shooting. Do you think we would have had to argue with Xavier fans about whether or not they were a good three-point shooting team last year? Yeah, really. <laughs> like, Xavier fans were crushing Xavier for their, their lack of three-point shooting. I can't believe Providence fans aren't doing the same with Providence this year. It is very weird that he felt they are a good three-point shooting team. That was strange. All right, let's go to Yuli. So I want to get behind the Big East team to make a run in the tournament. And I'm I'm debating between Providence and Xavier. I like Xavier. They have an amazing offense, but the defense worries me. What what does Xavier's defense need to do 
in a high-level game to keep a good win streak in, in the tournament? Well, <laughs> if, if we're being honest, Sula, or Yuli, if I had the, um, had the answer to that, I'd probably be making upwards of high six figures and sitting on somebody's bench. <laughs> um, that, that's the issue that Xavier's entire staff is dealing with right now. There just aren't a lot of answers because Xavier doesn't have a lot of great defenders. And I think really the answer is going to come down to matchups more than anything when they get into the tournament. Like, can they find a team where Colby Jones is going to be enough as a defender or Colby Jones and Jerome Hunter will give you enough from a de- defensive perspective. If, it, if you run into a team like Creighton, where there's a third and a fourth guy that really present matchup problems for you, that's going to make things tough. And especially if that team can defend well on the other end of the court. Like if they have a guy that can take Sule Boom away, or they have a guy that can slow down Xavier's uh, entry passes into the post and not let them score around the rim the, the way that they like to, then that's going to make it more difficult on Xavier to outscore an opponent in the tournament and uh, win those quality matchups. So for me, I think those are the the two biggest things that I'm looking at is that Xavier's just going to need a good matchup that allows them to get away with only having one, one and a half lockdown defenders on defense with with Colby Jones and and Jerome Hunter. Hopefully Desmond Claude by that time of the year will take another step forward and and he'll be an even more impactful defender for this team. But right now that's kind of how I see it. Uh, And then you want to find a team that Xavier can score on at the other end of the floor because I mean the, that's their best weapon right now is just being able to outscore you if the game goes to 100 this team can score 100 that's no problem for them so I think that's pretty much where I'm at with the uh, tournament projections for the Musketeers got you Paul any thoughts on there right. you wanted to get in yeah no I, I think it's the same thing I, I think we've we talked so much about the defense this year that eventually the, the way I've kind of settled into this right now and this is not hard-hitting analysis but the way i've settled into this is they're gonna figure it out or they're not right like they, nailed it they, like they're gonna they're gonna figure this thing out the coaches are gonna come up with some kind of an answer here or they're just gonna keep relying on the offense to outscore teams and eventually that's either gonna run its course or it's gonna carry them into a tournament run and uh, we have a big enough sample size now in this season to know what you're gonna get out of this team night in and night out and i think the team that we've seen is the team you're going to get. No, I, I agree with you, Paul. And that's why I say it to me, it's more about the matchups. Like this team isn't going to make some miraculous jump and become an adequate team on the defensive end. It's not going to happen. So it's more about, do, do you match up well enough with the other team that in a late game situation, when it's a one or two possession game, you feel like, you know what? Colby Jones can go stop their best guy on this possession when they run their set play for him and Xavier can get out of here with a win. That's what they've been able to do a few times this year, in addition to outscoring teams, and that's what it's going to be in the NCAA tournament. They're good enough to win that way, and they're good enough to beat good teams that way. They won't beat every good team that way, and they will run into some matchups that don't work out in their favor, but they're a legitimate threat. If they get into the tournament with the way they score, they can score with anyone in the country, and that makes them a legitimate threat. It really will come down to matchups at that point. Yep. All right. Thanks, Yuli. Thanks. Uh, we a couple more callers here. Jake, I think, was next up. Jake, go ahead. Can you hear me, guys? Gotcha. Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Thanks for having me. Uh, quick question that I, I think I may know the answer to, but I uh, wanted to ask nonetheless. Who do you guys think Xavier's defensive strategy has been more disrespectful to, Andre Jackson or Justin Jennifer? 
think I actually almost think Andre Jackson because he's so much better than Justin Jefferson. That was exactly my thought. I thought it putting the two in the same camp is is kind of a blatant slap in the face to Andre Jackson. No disrespect yeah, to like, Justin Jennifer, but also all the disrespect to Justin Jennifer. Yeah, I mean Justin Jennifer at at the Big East level. I mean, I, I know he was playing in the American Athletic Conference, but I'm saying if you're playing a Big East opponent and you're comparing him to Big East players, Justin Jennifer is a walk on in this conference. Like he's not a guy that should really be seeing the floor much. Andre Jackson is a dude that anyone would start in the conference. I think. I, I mean, he is a nice weapon. Six ten. He can shoot it a little bit. He he can really pass it. He can handle it. He can do a lot of different things for you. <laughs> for Xavier to just treat him like, I mean, they completely put his mind in a pretzel and ruined UConn's entire offense for. Well, the, the wildest thing was seeing Andre Jackson catch the ball in the wing when he took his last three. And Zach Fremantle literally sagged four steps down into the paint and put his left foot in the paint and just said, here, shoot it. it was a, you just never see that. It was wild. Yeah, and, and I actually like that. Look, if you're going to be a team that's not good at closing out on shooters anyway, you're not getting out there, I actually like the mess with their heads strategy more. Like, no, I want you to shoot that. I'm going to dare you to shoot that. Instead of being like a late closeout where you're not really contesting the shot anyways, I much prefer the whole Zach like sizing you up and being like, I dare you, big fella. That is a much better strategy in my opinion because it totally worked. UConn was totally thrown off and Andre Jackson didn't want to shoot after that. There was part of me that was hoping he would make one just so that he would keep shooting. Well, and that's what happened in the first game. He was 4 for 12 in the first game. They did basically the same thing. They maybe weren't quite as disrespectful about it initially, intentionally like pointing at him being like, I dare you. But they were sagging off of him the same way and playing in the lane that game. And um, he shot him a bunch. And yeah, he went 4 for 12, which is a fine percentage. But if you've got Andre Jackson taking 12 shots and 12 three-point shots, you've won the battle from a defensive standpoint, like you've gotten UConn out of what they like to do and you've gotten the ball out of the, the, their two best players hands. You can live with Andre Jackson, take them out of their flow like that. And then this time around, he didn't even have the confidence to do that. He missed the first couple. He went zero for three within like the first two or three minutes of action. And then after that, it's like, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm going to second guess myself the rest of the game. At some point, Danny Hurley just had to take him off the floor and explain to him like, look, when you get back in there, just move the ball, dribble handoff, go immediately into another action. You can't stand and stare and like think about whether or not you're open enough to shoot. All right. Jake, anything else? No, no. Thanks for taking my questions, guys. The only other comment I had was uh, attached to that, Justin Jennifer. When we were at the Crosstown shootout, they showed the top five three-point percentages in UC history, and Justin Jennifer was number four, and uh, there's got to be a mistake there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, was, it was weird because that last year – I mean, he ended up shooting a really high percentage, and UC fans just trying to rub that in as if some for some reason that meant something to him. It's like, guys, I mean, if you're letting Justin Jennifer take shots, you've already lost the battle. And UC fans will still argue to the death that Justin Jennifer was like a great player for them. It's insane. Uh, it makes no it's, sense to me. It's insane. If I ever find myself saying it's Justin Jennifer time, just take me out back and put me to rest. <laughs> yeah. Good night, guys. Have Point to your work. wristwatch. All right. Thanks, Jake. All right, we had a couple more here. Uh, let's go to Kyle. Hey, can you guys hear me? We got you. Hey, uh, apologies Kyle. in advance to uh, Jerome Hunter fan club, but this kind of ties into the last question. There was a period during the game where if we see um, Jerome and Dez get extended minutes, McDermott was playing off them, daring them both both to shoot threes. Uh, do you see, like, with how yeah. successful their offense has been, do you see them running into issues offensively with Fremantle out if they're just going to pack in the lane, just daring those two to shoot? Yeah, well, I mean, it's possible. I think most teams are going to do that against Jerome regardless. They've been doing it since last year, remember? Right. 
That's that was the whole debate last year is like Jerome can't keep shooting these open threes. He's open for a reason. So, um, yeah, that's exactly how teams are going to defend him. And I think you're seeing in general teams are going to try to keep more guys in the paint to try to take away some of the high low stuff and the entry passes and the cross screens that Xavier likes to run to get the ball inside. And then the other thing you, you've seen and and I'll, I will shout whoever it was on the last um, spaces we did. Hopefully they're listening right now. They'd called in and asked me, do you think teams are going to play more zone defense against Xavier? And I said, I don't really think so because Xavier has fared pretty well against it. And in the second half against UConn, when they tried to go zone, Xavier did a good job of, of scoring and winning that game despite playing against a zone. So I do think they can score against a zone, but it does seem like teams are figuring out that the zone will cut down on the ball movement and take Xavier out of their flow game, which is where they're at their best and they're finding a lot of their easy baskets right now. So... I mean, I think it's possible that you'll start to see more of that. In addition to just sagging off a guy like Jerome Hunter or specific matchups, you'll start to see teams in general just try to maybe play a little bit more zone or just sag in overall to uh, cut down on some of the ball movement and the entry passes to, to get the ball inside. Thanks, Kyle. What else you got, Kyle? Anything? Oh, that's no, that's it. Shout out Lumpy, Lumpy Dumper. What a legend. <laughs> Shout <laughs> out right, Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> uh, let's go to – have a couple Johnnies here to – finish this up johnny with the conies can you hear me i'm sorry i can hear you now all right there we go uh thanks for uh letting me ask another question kind of got a 1a and 1b situation here um first of all uh just talking about andre jackson from uconn uh assuming uh there was a third matchup this season between xavier and uconn uh would you expect them to do that again defensively sagging off of him i mean yes uh, and one okay uh and one b uh would you expect to see other teams in the big east and later the tournament do that to him as well you have to think they'd at least consider it right i mean it, it clearly worked so well now the one thing is uconn in the second half did start to figure out some things to combat that a little bit more and i, I mean i think the answer is an obvious one it's you put andre jackson as many dribble handoffs as you can because if he has no defender on him, then there's going to be nothing but space for whoever takes that dribble handoff and curls around him. They're going to be able to pull up. And that's what Jordan Hawkins was able to do some in the second half. And some of it was playing off the ball, coming off pin downs and, and staggered screens. But some of it was just simple dribble handoff actions with Andre Jackson. And, and if no one's guarding him, you've just got a guard flying off a, a curl right there, dribble handoff with nothing but space in front of him. And so I think that's probably what the answer will be from UConn. But... I mean, I think it's worth a try if you're opposing teams. And if you're Xavier, I think you go right back to it and make them prove that they can beat it again before you, you switch it up. Yeah, I guess that's why I was asking about if they would do it again since they seem to kind of get cooked in that second half a little bit. So Yeah, but Jordan Hawkins was also on fire. You know, there's no guarantee. True. Yeah, there's no guarantee that and you can also maybe make some adjustments on what they were doing to free him up. So I don't think it completely eliminates that game plan, but it definitely makes you think if they have a plan of attack and they're able to execute it successfully, then we're probably going to get out of that much quicker this time. All right, cool. Thanks for uh, taking my question again. Thanks, yeah, no John. problem, Johnny. Thank you. All right, and then we're going to try this, Johnny. Go ahead, Johnny. Hey, Paul, what's up? How you doing? I'm good. I'm just wondering, uh, first, what your uh, keys to the game versus Province are. You can just give me your top three. Uh top three i would just say the same thing like can can xavier go out there can they defend the same way that we've been asking them to defend lately can they stop jared bynum who had a great game on sunday against villanova and can you get 
you know, if you're not going to play with Zach Fremantle, depending on how he's how healthy he is, if you have him, great. And if you don't, what are you going to do? What kind of minutes do you get without Zach? How do you go back to the depth? We already see Xavier playing with seven guys this year, which hasn't been an issue yet. But when it comes down to an injury, that's when it becomes an issue. And does Jerome Hunter give you those extended minutes that you need? Yeah, I would say my three keys would be, first of all, just d- d- how do you match up with Bryce Hopkins? And, and like Paul was saying, that matchup with likely Jerome or Colby Jones guarding him. The second is going to be keeping Ed Croswell off the offensive glass. That's where they can generate a lot of points is those second chance opportunities. And Ed Croswell is at his best when he's getting on that offensive glass. And then finally, I think Xavier just has to be efficient on their end of the floor. You know, Providence is 55th in defense. I don't think they're particularly good defensively. They're not going to pressure you and turn you over a lot. They're going to be more positional. So um, I think this is an opportunity for Xavier to uh, to get on track offensively, get back on track, and, and get rolling early. I think those are going to be the biggest keys from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with all those points. Um, the last thing I just wanted to mention with the Fremantle injury do you think it would be harsh to say that it's a little bit of karma because of the preseason actions? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that'd be harsh uh, to say. I think yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. I just wanted to hear you guys' take on that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, and to be clear, I mean, who, who knows? Maybe this is like they put walking boots on every bone for everything now. If you have a hangnail, you're in a walking boot. So yeah. this could be completely preventative, and maybe he'll be just fine tend to think that's probably not the case, but um, there, there are no real details that have emerged at this point. So, Yeah, well, yeah I guess we'll see. But uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. All right. Uh, how, hold on. Before you take this next show, how many do we have left? Is, is it just a Creighton fan left, or do we have some just, It's just the Creighton fan. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? Give us – get what do you want in the chat? I mean – do you want to take a Creighton fan to end it or oh, no? Oh, wait, no, no. Andy let's, Pick is on there. Okay, we'll, we'll go Creighton fan first. Let's take Creighton and Pick at the same time. Okay. That way, Andy's in. Now, let's see what True Blue Guys, I, I come in peace. Uh, and and uh, first of all, I want to express my deep, deep gratitude for last week. Uh, you revealed to me that apparently there's a, a rivalry between Creighton and Alabama, which I was unaware of. Uh, so, <laughs> one of the all-time calls just, on just a real eye-opener for me um, so I have one question that is going to sound like a troll but I swear that it is not are you, are you ready for the first question the second question is more of an X's and O's question for you okay go ahead let's hear it uh, so as a Creighton fan and a Chiefs fan uh, I realize that there's some Watch some it. level of displeasure with officiating over the weekend, and I'm curious, like where the bigger gripe is in the game Saturday or the game Sunday with the referees. Well, that's actually that's actually a pretty good question. I gotta okay. say, you know, Paul, what, Paul, what's your take? Yeah, so here's here's what's wild about this. I'm glad this got brought up actually because last year, if you remember, and I read this somewhere, it, it might have even been on the Xavier board. I don't remember where I read this, um, but I remembered that Xavier played Creighton last year, but I didn't remember how many similarities there were. Xavier played Creighton in a noon tip last year on Saturday before the Bengals played the Chiefs on AFC Championship game Sunday. Xavier won that game against Creighton. Kentucky also beat Kansas on that same Saturday out in Kansas. When I was watching Cincinnati and Xavier and Kentucky on Saturday, just to me, like I'm not a I'm not a superstitious guy, 
I'm not into jinxes. I'm not into superstition. But when Xavier got blown out the way they did, with the officiating the way they did, and with Cincinnati choking away a lead against uh, Houston in a game that Cincinnati absolutely should have won, and with Kentucky not beating Kansas, I just, to me, I don't know why, but I went to sleep Saturday and I go, the vibes are off. The vibes, the vibes were off, man, and I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it was trending. And then the officiating went south in the Bengals game, and every, everything was off. All the vibes were not. You're, you're not a superstitious guy, but are you a Seinfeld guy? Because it's like Bizarro last year, essentially. Seinfeld is my favorite show of all time, and I could quote you anything from that show, and I 100% agree okay, with you. Okay, okay. So the X's and O's question, and and I would I would argue that the Nunji second foul was the costliest. Well, I mean, the, the personal foul was legit in the football game, but the Nunji second foul changed the complexion of that basketball game Saturday. Um, but from an X's and O's standpoint, like Sully Boom sort of disappeared in that game. And I'm curious, like what you viewed as the key to that and whether he's prone to doing that or if Creighton kind of found an answer to him. Well, he hasn't been prone to doing that so far. I mean, he had a bad game against DePaul where we, we talked about it earlier. I felt like in the DePaul game, he it was more a result of him being off. He missed shots. He was one for 12, I think, in that game. And missed a lot of like floaters and stuff around the basket from two point range more so than, than missing jumpers. And then in this game, I thought Ryan Nemhart did a fantastic job defensively. And one of the interesting things about that matchup that I was talking about earlier is Nemhart is smaller and more similar to Sule's size. And it seemed like he was a, it was almost like, remember watching D Dave and the caller might understand this, but our listeners will D Davis back in the day for Xavier, when they first came into the, the big East conference, D wasn't the fastest guy, the most athletic guy, the longest guy, or the best athlete, any of that stuff. But he was able to stay with guys and be a gnat of a defender because he just kind of made his way around screens. He was a small target. You couldn't hit him square. He'd slide around it, use his agility, and stay with the guy and be right there as they curled off a screen or or came off it on the ball screen. And he'd just still be right there in their face. I thought that was what Ryan Nemhart did to Sule Boom in this matchup. He's not a freak athlete. He's not super long or athletic or any of that stuff, but he was just there all the time with Sule, and he did it without being called for fouls. And that's what Sule usually does so well against defenders is he's able to bait them into fouls, and uh, that just didn't happen against Nemhart. So I thought that was most of what it was, was just really a, a great individual job by Ryan Nemhart, and he didn't take any plays off. It wasn't like, oh, he was great for five stre- f- uh, for a stretch of five minutes, and then he was focused on his offense for a little bit. It was like his singular focus in that game seemed to be locking up Sule Boom, and he did a really good job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had probably his best game as a Blue Jay, very nearly a triple-double, and uh, there's there's been some hot takes that, you know, the, the lineup might be better with him coming off the bench, but I think on Saturday we saw that Hard obviously belongs in the starting lineup. And, uh, yeah, appreciate you taking my call and, uh, you know, Hope, hope the uh, Muskies and the Jays get a third matchup at uh, at the Garden. All right. That was a great call. Thank great you for call. Uh, Thank joining you. us. I would actually be interested to hear what fans think on that, of what his first question. What was worse, the officiating in the Xavier Creighton game or the officiating in the Bengals-Chiefs game? Uh, I actually ba- didn't. The, I would say the Bengals game because we knew what was coming when we saw the crew in the Xavier game. Well, the thing about the Xavier game was I didn't necessarily think the officiating was like god awful or cost Xavier that game, except for the the early fouls on the big men. Which yeah. I mean, that's that's like saying you know, other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? But it wasn't you know the whole thing about Creighton not getting called for fouls throughout the game. 
That's every game with them. Yeah. They never get cold. Creating defense fouls. without fouling. So that that's part's Ryan, Ryan Kalkbrenner's maybe the best in the country at guarding the rim without fouling. So yeah, that's that's Creighton's game. And now I'll jump off. Yeah, that uh, that part didn't surprise me at all. It was just the the fact that both big men for Xavier had two fouls before the first media timeout. And the especially the one foul on Nunji was just ins- insanely bad. I mean, I just don't know how you make that call, especially when you know we've already called that guy for a foul. And we're not even to the second media timeout of the game yet. Uh, to make a, 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 I mean, that's not even a 50-50 call. To, to call basically a phantom foul on an important player like that is just really poor officiating. It was a, a really bad turn of events for Xavier. All right. Uh, Andy, did you have anything for us before we sign off? I did. I now have uh, two things now that the Bengals were brought up. Um, Paul, I'm right with you on there. I'm not a superstitious guy, but I knew yesterday like, after I mean, Xavier gets blown out, and so, but honestly, we moved on from that kind of. Expected. And NKU blew a twenty-point lead. Uh, now, now my day. Oh, that's right. That too. Yep. <laughs> and so the, the vibes were off, and I knew it was just going to be a really bad day when I was trying to go from Covington to Newport, and I was trying to go around uh, Cincinnati, going to four seventy-one, and the entrance ramp was closed. And I'm like, you know what? That's that's a sign. I'm going to have a bad day. And oh, by no. God, I did. So yeah. not not a superstitious guy. I can watch anywhere and wear whatever clothes I want. Turn my turn my underwear inside out. Doesn't matter. But that just I just knew that was a sign that was not going to be a good day for us Cincinnati fans. Uh, but something along the lines of the theme of this Musketeer Report podcast live, the Xavier Musketeers. Um, one thing I thought of is we've talked we talked a lot of a lot about. The gray uniforms, we are undefeated in them. Why have we not seen those in a while? Between the gray and the blue and yellow Mustang uniforms, I think we're 5-0. and oh. Those blue and yellow uniforms are awful, by the way. But we win. That's all that matters. They are so bad. The gray uniforms I love. I'm a, I'm a huge gray uniform guy, and I love Xavier's, but – the uh, blue and yellow ones are terrible. The pimp cane logo is kind of cool, but the the blue and yellow look is just awful. It's something I never thought I'd see in a uh, in in Xavier Land, but I've grown I've grown to appreciate and embrace the Xavier Mustangs. But yeah, the, the, as far as like, it's, it's like an it's eyesore. it's not even it's like in bear it's like not even molar colors it's like it's like your madeira or something right like isn't that what they look like like the off-brand blue and yellow it's it's a bad look it's a bad jersey but it but i've never i honestly have never seen i haven't seen twitter that uh, that engaged into a uniform in quite some time and that's those are the types of vibes i think we need to bring back something to just just rally around that something that's completely meaningless Either that or Adam Kunkel needs a new tattoo. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone would obviously notice if Adam added a new tattoo. That would be very clear. True. All right. That's that's really all I had. That's how I'm going to end my night on. Andy, the way you were talking today is totally weirding me out. I've got to be frank about that. That's just – it's making me very uncomfortable. I've never heard you sound like this before. It could be my AirPod, but – how do I no, it's the, it's the cadence of how you're talking. It has nothing to do with the sound quality. The way I'm, well, that's that's a little odd. I would. I, I agree. I not, it's very I, odd. It's very myself. odd. I would agree. Like I, I will be. Like, I have not felt myself in, felt like myself in a while. That's why I've been so like 
MIA in, in these types of things, but I'm, I, I think I feel fine. Oh yeah. Are you, are you doing okay? Like, is everything okay at home? Are you... <laughs> yeah, everything's, I mean, I'm, I'm in the dump truck room right now. Like, the, the vibes should be up. okay. Well, yeah, vibes are sky high. Yeah, they, they, they should, there really should not be an issue. So I'm a little, I'm a little concerned for myself. I might need to go call my therapist just to make sure I'm okay. Okay, there we go. This is the Andy, the Andy where you start talking a little faster and, and uh, stumbling over your words, but that's the Andy I'm used to. The whole like reserved and taking your time before each word, that's that's weirding me out a bit. I don't like that. Okay, okay. Maybe I just needed something to like calm me down. I just needed some yep. some little inside. A little energy. Just make myself relax a little bit. Because I don't know, maybe, the, the, maybe there's little some gulps sort is of back. Stress, but yeah, I'm not me unless I'm stuttering. And just talking too fast and probably not making any fucking sense. Well, that's probably not a good thing to say on this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the Andy Piccarillo we know there and love. I'm glad that to hear took you about. about 30 seconds to get back to 10. Yeah, I knew I could get him there. He was just totally weirded me out the way he was talking. I was like, this isn't a bit. He's not even trying to make me laugh. Like, I don't know what's going on with him right now. <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think we just fixed me. So thank you. I appreciate it. All right. You know. That was worth it. It was, if nothing else, the last ninety minutes were worth it to fix Andy Pick's mental state. Andy, you got anything no, else? That is it. I appreciate y'all. All, All right, right, we appreciate you. And Paul, I think that's it. You don't have any more calls, do you? I do not see any more. So for everybody, uh, for Rick, Rick, uh, want to pub the the site one more time? I do. Sign up. You still have an hour and a half left, just under ninety minutes left to go ahead and take advantage. Seventy five percent off musketeerreport.com. I'm telling you. The coverage is about to get ramped up here over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be doing some cool stuff. Uh, I'm excited about what's next for musketeerreport.com and, and the future of the site. So uh, so please sign up for this. Help me out. 75% off right now. You have until midnight tonight to take advantage of that deal. And, of course, sign up for the Rebound Rundown podcast. You can subscribe to it on any podcast app that you listen to. It'll give you a great recap of what happened the night before in the local college basketball landscape and also preview the night ahead so be sure to subscribe to rebound rundown thanks rick thanks to everybody for listening we'll be back next week with another musketeer report podcast and for rick i'm paul signing off see y'all